Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. in my life where like going to youth camp is like a fond memory and I have all these fun memories of like jumping in the pool and getting sunburned and all you can eat pancakes in the morning and chapel and all this fun stuff but Royal Family Kids Camp is a little bit different than the youth camps that you might be familiar with if you've never been to one this is not a typical church camp and I'm really excited to get to go because like Brenton said last year nobody was able to host a camp I don't know if you guys were around in 2020 but there was this little thing called a pandemic and like everything shut down in the whole world But what I really liked that we did and that you guys participated in was that we didn't just like put these kids on hold while we weren't able to go up to the mountains in uh, 2020 and we weren't able to throw on chapel and do all of these things. We were still able to make a significant impact in their lives. We put together these camp kits like we all got together one day and like we put together uh, craft supplies and uh, toys and all these gifts and we just kind of did camp in a box. And we even had a couple of the women who are so talented in front of the camera. They sat down and uh, they even did like the Bible story that they would have presented in chapel. They did it on camera. And we sent with camp in a box like links to these videos. And I remember going around. We drove around. We like split up in teams and we drove around to the homes of these kids that had come to camp in 2019. And we delivered in person these, uh, these camp in a box. And I remember my family, we, we showed up to one home and they had a lot of kids in their home. And we had just a few moments to chat with the foster mom. And she started to get a little bit emotional because she said, you know, you don't understand the impact that even this little box makes in our lives you guys made us feel like we haven't been forgotten. And in that moment, I realized how valuable the little things really are. And I'm really excited to get to go to camp, but I'll never forget that little moment. And today, I really want to share with you a few scriptures that I hope will encourage you. Uh, So often, we try to find our significance in this world. We want to make our mark, and we want to do it big, right? Especially in, like, the social media age. Like, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook even. Like, it's all about, like, how many people are in your friends list? How many followers do you have? How many likes can you get? And I fall into that trap, too. I run a social media account for another organization, and just yesterday, I was sitting down and kind of evaluating, you know, we're halfway through the year, where are we comparing at, you know, on our various accounts, our channels, compared to January, you know, and just kind of doing like an evaluation. And I remember sitting there thinking, really, that's all the likes we've gotten so far? Like, that's all the followers we've accumulated in six months? And I remember thinking, are we really making an impact? Like, are we, is this even working? Is this a big deal? And I think sometimes we can all get 
trapped in those kinds of moments. We all want to make our mark. We all want to go big. And I've even had conversations with some people lately about, like, what their future is going to look like. And, you know, they're not sure where they're going. They're not sure what they want to do. And, you know, it's easy to fall into this trap of thinking, like, if I haven't made it yet, if I'm not there now today, I don't know if I'll ever get there. Did I miss the mark? Have I missed my opportunity to do something big with my life? And I hope that today you'll be encouraged. I want to open up to, um, first of all, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 17. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. So if you don't have that translation and you're not on a device, you can um, follow along up on the screen. And if you're watching online, it should be up there as well. And at first, this passage may not seem to go along with what I have in, uh, what I've just talked about, but And it's a little bit long, but I feel like there's a couple of bits and pieces in here that are really important for each of us to just reflect on today. And so I'm going to go ahead and start in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. It says, So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing, believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Verse 11, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When we first accept Jesus into our lives, we can be sure that he has recreated us. Maybe you don't look different on the outside, but there's something different on the inside. And it begins to be obvious in the way that we interact with everybody else, the way that we talk to people, the way that we make different choices. All of these things begin to just kind of subtly shift, subtly change, and we become a new person from the inside out. And this is something that should get us really excited, especially if we're trying to figure out where our significance comes from, What is it that you want to do in life? What is it that you dream of doing? I think that this scripture sometimes, though, can get us all tripped up because we think it's an immediate thing. We think that we have, we've come up to the altar, we have said a prayer, and we have accepted Jesus into our hearts, and we are suddenly a brand new creature. And so therefore, instantaneously, 
there's going to be something different in our lives. But it's a process. And sometimes it is a longer process than what we are comfortable with. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily look like this big, big thing. Now, there is a story in scripture of a guy who was kind of plucked out of obscurity and he was thrust into a big role. I don't know if you've heard of a king named David, but at one point when he was just a teenager, he was out in the field. He was just a shepherd. He was the youngest in all, out of all of his brothers, and he was just doing his job. It wasn't like he was out there trying to, like, get likes, get follows. He wasn't, like, out there trying to, like, you know, pay for subscribers or whatever it is that people do these days to, uh, to get popular. He was just out there, and he was doing his work like he had done every day and day and day and day and day and day before. And then one day, the prophet Samuel came along, and God had sent him to this family to try to find the next king of Israel. And as Samuel sees all of these young men kind of parade in, all of David's brothers come in, and he's like, surely, the very first one, the oldest one, you know, he's, he's tall in stature, he's handsome, he looks like he's going to make a great king, and God said, nope, that's not the one. And so Samuel kind of scratches his head and says, okay, well, who's next? Surely this is the guy. This has got to be the one. Well, no, that's not the one either. And he runs through all of the guys that had been brought out before him, and he turns to the dad, and he says, do you have any more sons? Like, is there anybody else? This, is there somebody that we're missing? And the dad was like, well, I have one other son. I mean, his name's David, and he's out in the field watching our sheep. Like, even the, his dad was like, it's not like it's a big deal. This isn't the guy. Like, you, don't you want one of these guys, you know? But Samuel said, no, that's the guy I want to see him. And when David came, the Lord said, this is the one that I have chosen. In fact, um, and we may have the scripture for up there, um, it says specifically in First uh, Sa- Samuel chapter 15, or chapter 16, sorry, verse 12. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. You see, he said um, that this is the very day that David became king. And you would think that at that point, he would get whisked into the palace and he would have a coronation or whatever it is that they do for kings. I don't know. I, I don't know if they do that. But um, he would have this big parade or whatever. But instead, he went right back out into the field. He had been anointed king and had gone right back out there. So you would think maybe David would begin to have an identity crisis like, hey, I've I'm the guy, like, I'm it. Why am I out here now, like, you know, watching the sheep and making sure that they're all, you know, okay? How come I'm not in the palace? But God had a plan by putting David back out there in the field in obscurity. It was part of creating a new creation there, part of building up what was inside of David so that when the right moment came, he had what he needed to be the best king of Israel. I think it's so important that when we're walking through life and we're trying to figure out where our significance comes from, or we're trying to figure out 
How can we get more confident in what we're doing? Even if you already know what it is that God has called you to do, how can you be more confident in that? And it's so important that we realize that we do have confidence, but it's not in who we were. It's in who Christ is in us. It's in what it is that he is doing in our lives. And then what I love about that scripture in 2 Corinthians is that it says that um, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. But right up above that in uh, verse 15, it says that he died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. See, we are called to something significant. We are called to have this amazing life in Jesus, but it's not for us. It's for others. And there's another passage in the lectionary this week that I feel like it really um, it really hit home. I was really wrestling with this because there's so many passages in the lectionary, and typically we pick like one, and we go through it, and we have, you know, a little bit of time here to, to kind of really dig deep into one of these passages. But as I'm wrestling with the three passages that were presented in the lectionary this week, I was just really trying to figure out, like, which one do I pick? They're all really good passages, and they all speak to something very specific that God is doing, mostly behind the scenes. It's not a big, flashy, sexy process. It's something that typically happens, like, in obscurity, right? David's out in the field, and he's watching sheep instead of being in the palace and learning how to hold banquets, right? And I love this parable. This is in Mark chapter 4. And if you could go ahead and put this up on the screen, starting in verse 26, there's two parables here. Both of them have to do with plants, and I'm not a great gardener. Like, I can certainly tell you that is not an area where I make significant impact in my life. I, I, I have a very bad green thumb, probably more like a brown thumb. It's just not, I, I can't even keep succulents alive. So I don't really, like, relate well when he starts talking about, like, parables of seeds and gardens and stuff like that. But I really loved this parable. There's, there's two here because I feel like they both have um, a little bit to do with that invisible kind of behind-the-scenes work that God does in our lives. And starting at verse 26 of Mark chapter 4, Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. First of all, that plant is buried in the dirt, and it has to transform from one form, the form of a seed, into a little seedling, then a plant, and then it bears fruit. And you'd think, like, that's great, wonderful, I reached the pinnacle of my life, I'm bearing fruit. But then the farmer comes along with a sickle, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like that thing that um, 
if you're not a farmer, like I'm not a farmer, I associate that with like the Grim Reaper, you know. It's that thing that he holds with like the, the blade, the triangle-shaped blade that's really sharp and they come along and go whoosh. Well, that's what the farmer does. He comes along and he just harvests that field. And you think, wait, what? Like that poor little plant. <laughs> but it's, the plant's significance is not done yet. Its entire purpose was not to just grow up and be this beautiful plant. Its purpose was to feed people, to provide for them nutrients and sustenance, or uh, provide for them economically. Maybe this farmer is going to feed his family, or maybe this farmer is going to go sell it at the market. Either way, this plant is still serving in a significant way, even after it has been cut down and harvested. And the second parable, starting right after that in verse 30, Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. Now, a mustard seed, I was going to go get some because I really wanted to, like, show you what a mustard seed looked like, but then I was afraid that, like, people would drop it on the ground as they left, and we'd have all these, like, mustard bushes outside, and I didn't think Brenton would be very happy with me, so I skipped that. So you'll just have to use your imagination. But a mustard seed is, like, teeny, 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 tiny little mustard seed. You can still buy them at the grocery store for, like, spices and stuff. But they grow into these giant bushes that can be anywhere from, like, I, I read a couple articles. Some say, like, 6 to 9 feet. Some say 6 to 20 feet tall. So they're pretty big. And they spread out far and wide. And the thing about them is that they grow in dry and arid areas. So like if you were to plant a mustard seed, they say don't water the soil until it's completely dry, like almost until like you think it's dead. So maybe I should try growing mustard. I might actually be good at that one. Um, but either way, either way, the mustard seed also, it sprouts and it, as it grows into a mature plant, it can take years decades even, before it becomes a full-size, mature plant. It takes a long time for this giant bush to grow to maturity. It's not instantaneous. The minute it hits the ground, it grows up into this big bush. But what I really find fascinating is in verse 32, a lot of times when we talk about this parable, we really emphasize the fact that it becomes the largest of all garden plants. Like, that's really awesome. But I like the second part of that verse. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. Here again, we see this long life, almost of obscurity, and yet it makes significant impacts in the lives of others, these little birds. And now, if you imagine the dry and arid environment it takes to, to grow this mustard plant, what must it be like for those little birds? They're like dying of heat stroke out there. And they suddenly come upon this giant mustard plant that I think today if we were to see one, we would think it was just a weed. But they get so excited because they have a little place to rest. And so they could rest their wings and they can get some shade from the heat. And all because this mustard plant 
was planted years and years and years before that and had grown up into this giant bush. God loves to take small things and make big impacts. And I think sometimes when we are searching for significance in our own lives, we think that our whole lives are going to lead up to one moment. And that all of a sudden, we're going to have our name in lights, or we're going to have our name published somewhere, or we're going to have our face on some billboard or the side of a bus or something really awesome, you know? And I think that we forget that God uses little things to make huge impacts. In fact, I was thinking about a couple of little things that I've witnessed over the last week or two, and one of the, my favorite things, I, we were at a baseball game with some friends. Now, I'm not a huge baseball fan. My husband is the baseball fan of the family, okay? And I'm sorry to say to all of you who are here from Orange County, we're a Dodger family. But <laughs> before you boo me off the stage, this baseball game that I was at was an Angels game. And, you know, both stadiums, it doesn't matter what team you go to, there's always that chant, right? Like when the team is down by some points and you're trying to, like, show them that you're, like, still there and you want to encourage them, you know, and you say, let's go Angels or let's go Dodgers or whatever your team is, right? And so we were at this game. And the, of course, the Angels, I feel very conflicted because the group I was with were huge Angels fans, and yet I'm married to a Dodger fan, so I don't, I, I feel like I'm on both sides of the fence today, I'm sorry, but they were losing, and so we were cheering for them, I'm sorry, honey, we were cheering for the Angels, and we really wanted them to win, but after a few innings of no hits, we were starting to get a little tired, you know, it was late, it was a weeknight, and it was warm, and we were all starting to feel a little kind of, okay, like how many times can you scream, let's go angels? For how many hours can you scream this and nothing changes? And then all of a sudden, we hear this little tiny voice, let's go angels. And we all looked around, and we couldn't find where it was coming from. And then just down like maybe two rows from the front, like right at the field, this little boy, he couldn't have been more than like three, maybe four, and he just had the biggest smile on his face, and he just kept saying that over and over again, and pretty soon, a couple rows over, um, a man started to answer back, and so he would say it, and then this grown man would shout it out to the field really loud, and then the little boy would say it, and then pretty soon, everybody started catching on to what was going on. And every time this little boy would say it, we would all join the man in repeating it back to him. And then the little boy only would say it, and then the whole section would say it. And pretty soon, you know how they have like the jumbotron thing? And there's always a cameraman that's kind of going around and he tries to like catch people by surprise, you know? Well, he was in our section and he was noticing what was going on back and forth. And so he went over and when it was time for the break, he got a, like a little visual. The little boy was up on his dad's shoulders and the little boy as soon as his face came up on the screen, the entire section started screaming and cheering, not for the angels, but for this little boy who's been leading us in this rally cheer for a couple of innings. It was the most adorable thing. 
But again, I just kept thinking about this passage of something so small, this little boy who's like three or four years old is just screaming his heart out to cheer for his team. And eventually, he makes this significant impact on hundreds of people who are in the stands who are probably not really into it for a while. Like, I'm not there to watch the game. I want the nachos and, like, the cotton candy. But, man, that little boy got me cheering, and I was really excited about that. And I'm thinking about another story that I just heard just this morning, actually. I don't know if you saw, our friend Nicole was up here. She was singing today on the worship team. She has the most amazing voice. But she's also a missionary, and she's going to France soon. We are praying for her as she gathers up support so that she can get ready to go over there. The borders are open. Everything is in order. She's just trying to garner enough support so that she can go over there and be able to serve the Lord. Well, she was traveling this last week, and she was at this little Bible study at a friend's house. And she was just, you know, she was just there, and her friend introduced her to people, and she started to share her story. And there was a little, like a a young woman there who came up to her later and was like, you know, I've had this $100 bill in my purse for a while now, and I didn't know what to do with it. Can I give it to you? And I just couldn't believe, like, this young woman had a $100 bill? Like, we're in a post-pandemic, like, job situation. Everything's in, like, we don't know what's happening, and she could have gone out and did anything with that $100 bill. But she really felt like the Lord just kept telling her to wait. Don't spend it yet. Just hold on to it. She didn't go put it in the bank. She didn't go hide it away somewhere in her house so she wouldn't be tempted to spend it at Starbucks. She just kept holding on to it. And then seemingly randomly, she shows up at a Bible study. And the Lord puts it on her heart to invest in a woman she just met. And that $100 is going to make a huge impact on the kingdom. Little things make a big impact. I want to invite the worship team to come up, including Nicole. I want you guys, as we just close in this song, and I really, I really, I don't want to tell you guys what to do, but I really hope you do play that anthem song because it was pretty awesome. I really want you guys to just be reflecting on the little ways that God uses you to make a big impact. We have our confidence in Christ that he can do something big through us. But can we hold that same confidence in him if he wants to do small things through us? We have this amazing gift of new life. We get a grand do-over the moment we accept Jesus into our hearts. God wants to use us in big and little ways to impact others. That new life is not just for us. It's not just for me. It's not just for you. It's for everyone around you. You don't have to be up on a stage playing an instrument or singing a song or reading scripture. You don't have to do that sort of thing to make an impact in the lives of others. You just have to be honest with people. Tell them. Where is this change in your life coming from? Why do you smile when everything around you seems to be falling apart? Invite somebody for coffee. 
call somebody that you haven't talked to in a while. Like the woman who received that foster camp in a box, there are so many people who feel forgotten. They feel like nobody notices that they haven't been in church for a while. Nobody notices that they come to work and they go home and they don't say hi to anybody. Nobody notices their very presence. You can notice them. You can say something as simple as, hey, how are you doing? No, no, really, I wanna know. There are little ways that we can make big impacts. And I just wanna encourage you that your significance comes from those small hidden things that God is growing in you. And so I don't want you to shy away from those moments of obscurity. Those moments where it seems like God is not doing anything in your life. Lean into those moments because you never know what's coming around the corner. You never know what he's preparing you for in the next season. And I love one of the prayers in the lectionary. Go ahead and stand. I want to just read this over you as we enter into this song. says, Mighty God, to you belong the mysteries of the universe. You transform shepherds into kings, the smallest seeds into innocent trees, and hardened hearts into loving ones. Bless us with your life-giving spirit, recreate us in your image, and shape us to your purposes through Jesus Christ. Join as we sing this song, and then I will come and pray over you before we leave.
we are so, so grateful for your love for us. That even when things don't look like the way we expected, when things aren't going as fast as we thought they would, when things aren't growing the way we were hoping, that you are still there. You are still tilling that hard soil. You are still planting new things. You are still doing stuff in us. I am so grateful for your love that causes us to grow and transforms us into new people. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we go out this week, Lord God, that you will remind us to be on the lookout for somebody who needs a word of encouragement. Lord, give us creative ways that we can make small impacts that have lasting effects on people's lives. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be observant of the people that we interact with day to day. Let us always see the ones that you are highlighting for us to reach out to. Let no one be invisible to us because nobody is invisible to you. Lord, I am so grateful for what you are doing at Refuge, and I just pray that you will bless each and every one of us here and in person and online as we go out into the world this week and we model your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us at Refuge. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.